yeah. So I am American, so I am circumcised. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we happy we got that out of the way quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess with so, that, I'll just I'm gonna kick us off. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Terror Table, a horror movie podcast. I am your host, Mitch Oliver, and normally I have my pal Boozy with me, but he is away this week. But we have a very special guest and a special episode planned for today. Today we are welcoming one of my friends that I got to know. I had the pleasure of getting to to know through our mutual experience at Screamfest in LA. And I uh, had a chance to see his insanely beautiful, twisted, fun little short film, Fake Plastic Blood. And today we're going to be welcoming the writer, director, Nathan Gallagher to the show. How's it going, Nathan? Great, great. Thank you so much for having me, Mitch. It's great to catch up as well. Yeah, man. Like we uh, let's just start off with that, though. We we had this crazy experience together. We obviously we had no idea who each other who we were each other was. Uh, we both were invited to participate in Screamfest, and uh, that's something I haven't really been able to talk about too much on the show because I never, I never like it's weird talking about it with people who weren't there. Yeah. Um, but I know for I feel like I can speak for the both of us that that was one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, yeah and we got to we we kind of clicked, met your your whole crew. Shout out to the entire Fake Plastic Blood crew. You guys had a whole bunch of people down there and uh it, it was just amazing it was one of the highlights getting to know you guys and yeah i agree and specifically specifically talk movies and that's something you and i did a lot in the the final days of scream fest and one of those things that we talked about was david lynch so today we are going to be discussing at the end of the episode we're going to have a a full conversation on mulholland drive uh, but before that, I want to I want our listeners and anyone anyone new tuning in to hear the Nathan Gallagher story. So, Nathan, you made a, a short horror film, Fake Plastic Blood. What led you to this this point in your life? What made you want to create films, specifically horror films? Yeah, I um. So I my family started in film a long time ago when I was about probably 11 years old. They started doing like um, there's a it, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's called the 48 hour film festival. I yep. think they have it everywhere. Yeah. Um, but so my family started doing short films for that, like in, around 2011, just because my dad was kind of interested in it and it, and he was always really into films. So he kind of gave me some education in terms of history of watching the best movies and kind of cultivated my taste a little bit. And then, yeah, when I was about 17, I started making my own films. So fake plastic blood ended up being, it's like the eighth film I've made. Um, when it comes to like horror, I, I don't know. I think through watching films, I realized what stories I wanted to tell and they ended up being psychological, like um, psychological thriller pretty much always. And then that blended into horror a little bit. And I think how that blended into horror kind of to tie it back, to be relevant with this episode was, um, and this might sound some weird, uh, a little bit weird to some people, but I think David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick got me into horror. And it's for like um, reasons that I don't think are necessarily attributed to those directors always. But I think that they have a horror side when they make their stuff. And in, in, it's a little bit more of a psychological horror that um, I, I think I was subconsciously inspired by a lot. And that kind of um rubbed off in how i yeah made my my short films yeah absolutely and that's something i wanted to talk about today too is that 
Mulholland Drive isn't generally known as a straight up horror film. And uh-huh. uh, I think a lot of Lynch's stuff and Kubrick's as well, people hesitate to to dub it horror, but there is an underlying tone and aesthetic that goes along with these movies that 100% keeps them in the conversation of horror. Specifically oh, yeah. Mulholland Drive too. Like there's, uh, we'll, we'll get to that, but there's, it's funny because I saw fake plastic blood before we had even really gotten to know each other. And one thing I really t- immediately took away was I was like, I absolutely saw the influences of films like Mulholland drive and uh, like Lynchian thrillers and same with Kubrick. Like you can just tell that you're very into the cerebral side. Oh, that's of, awesome. Like, that you picked that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. No, it's, and it's a, uh, it's great. And I even, you know, there there there's so many different things like what the color palettes that you play with and the overall concept of uh and now it honestly makes so much sense after we we started getting to know each other and we talked about Mulholland Drive it was like oh that makes total sense that that was such a huge influence on you yeah uh, that's top five films for me yeah no it's I I'm very excited to talk about it. I've wanted to do a David Lynch episode for a while but uh it's one of those ones you got to have the right people to do it. So I'm happy that this worked For out. Sure, yeah. um, but yeah. we, so we've touched base on how you're into Kubrick and Lynch and stuff like that. But I know you're also the kind of guy who can take something away from more mainstream horror, even like, have you seen anything recently that kind of stood out to you that? Um, yeah. Jordan Peele's Nope really stood out to me. Nice. I yeah. That I, movie was awesome. Yeah. I love it too. I love that one. Yeah. It seems people aren't talking about the way that they were with get out and, and us yeah. like, and obviously get out was like a cultural phenomenon. It's mm-hmm. incredible, but so is Nope. Nope is amazing. I agree. I think I, so I, I think obviously get out is a 10 out of 10 and like us is probably a nine out of 10, but um, Nope does something for me that I, the other two didn't. I, I think it's, there's, there's a, there's a way that he approached the horror in that one that, landed with me um like particularly with that film um yeah uh i forgot the monkey's name but gordo gordo Gordo. yeah yeah no that that scene is that's something else but there's that scene and there's there's one that's like clearly he pulled it from uh fire in the sky i'm not sure if you've seen that it's a 90s uh alien film but it's like that scene scared the hell out of me as a kid and I think the other reason why it might connect with you too is like so much of Nope is based in like the filmmaking process. Yeah, it's, that's actually a good point. Yeah, and like the industry and uh-huh. you know how how people are generally kind of chewed up and spit out and there's so many like little mm-hmm. things that are like comedic nuances like how he's wearing a Scorpion King shirt the, the oh, whole yeah. movie. Yeah. And it's like you, people don't really you don't really think about that. You don't really see that in other films. That's why it felt fresh. I've only seen it the one time, but I am looking forward to watching that one again. Yeah, me too. I only got to see it in, in the theater once. Um, yeah. But oh no. my goodness. And then the, the the creature also. Am I allowed to spoil it here? Uh, no. Let, okay, let, okay. That's fine. Watch Nope. It's, it's an incredible film. Watch yeah, it. Let, <laughs> definitely recommend. That. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. One, uh, one that I wanted to talk about a little bit uh, too is I just watched Smile. Have you have you had a chance oh, to see it yet? Not yet, but I'm. It's I. I really, really want to. Yeah, yeah. That's so a cultural is, phenomenon in itself, right now. Yeah, it's crazy. And so it's written and directed by Parker Finn, who he made two short films, and then he got this movie. And then don't I just couldn't get a read on it from the trailer. I was like, you know, a lot of people say it kind of looks like Truth or Dare, like something like that kind of fair. 
uh-huh. but it's like shot like it follows which is another thing we talked about a little bit because uh, yes. you're from detroit yeah shout out detroit <laughs> yeah so i was like oh detroit like it follows a barbarian and, and mm-hmm. eminem yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen Barbarian yet either, but that was another one because we talked about that in LA, and I was yeah, I um, and it's free right now. I don't know why I haven't gotten around yet. To yeah, I'm it. curious to hear what you'll think of it because that's that's uh-huh. one that it plays with both both the things I'm talking about here, where it's like you know very serious and creepy, and then it gets a little leans into like the fun comedic elements yeah. of horror. And that's that something always that, work for people. Yeah, that's something that doesn't always work for me. Like full transparency, like horror comedy. Um, I find it to be like a lot of the time just comedy, but with like some people dying or some gore or something, it's not necessarily horror, but when it's, when there's like true horror comedy, like they actually uh, manage to blend the two genres and not just go one way or the other, I would be definitely open to taking suggestions in that field. I think. Yeah. I think barbarian will be a great start. uh, Okay. For sure. But, um, but yeah, smile. I, like I straight up, it, it just didn't really look like my thing. Like I wasn't all that excited to see it. But then after, you know, I obviously I think it's so crazy. It's so cool what Parker Finn did. The fact that he made two short films and had this opportunity huh. and people seem to be liking it. So I want to give it a shot. And man, I was uh, I was very surpri- pleasantly surprised by Smile. Okay. I really liked it. It's uh, the first little bit. I was like, it does feel like this is the kind of thing where you know, if I would have been 14 at the time, or like, this is a movie I was watching when, you know, friends were having a sleepover when we were kids and renting. It, it reminds me a lot of The Ring. Have you seen The Ring? Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's got okay. a lot of that, that same kind of, it plays with the, there's like a, a story and a plot mechanism that is okay. happening to people. And it's kind of like, even it follows, it can be transferred. Okay. And that generally makes for fun horror movies for a lot of, a lot of people. And, this one, it's just, it's really well shot. It is totally like if a, a silly idea, like a truth or dare or countdown or like all these, like, you know, mainstream Blumhouse releases that they're, mm-hmm. they're making for a younger audience. It feels like that. But if it was made by a guy who loves Ari Aster. Oh, okay, um, cool. It's so, like low, low, lower budget too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he made it just say they made it look great for, for what they had. Okay. What I what I like to what like what like sparked my I maybe so intrigued with that movie was so like obviously the marketing was really mm-hmm. unique they took a unique take and I thought that like their uncanny approach to horror um, was unique and something that I don't I don't um, like I don't think we get enough of that is like the uncanny side of horror so people like smiling through like crowds of people someone staring yeah. at the camera and smiling or something. I like uncanny horror, something that's not necessarily scary when you've like, I, I mean, a monster is always scary, but like somebody smiling at you can be scary in a different instinctual way. I like, a, totally. I, I, I'm so into that. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see that movie. I'll definitely, I'll, I'll text you once I watch that one. I had fun with it and I, I recommend it. Absolutely. Sure. I know it's on Paramount Plus now. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so Sozie Bacon, I think her name is. She's the she plays the lead. It's Kevin Bacon's daughter. She's she's okay. tremendous in it. She's great. Um, 
but it's funny you said that though because that's totally something that's played with in Mulholland Drive as well yeah <laughs> like yeah the, the yeah. smiling grandparents characters and like yeah oh my god the ending it's like yeah i can't wait to talk about it because i just rewatched it for this podcast <laughs> yeah i've been uh i took a deep dive this week again i we'll, we'll get there i just want to touch on a couple other things before we we get into because i think uh-huh. we're gonna that's gonna be the brunt of this episode we're gonna talk about lynch in general and uh-huh. yeah, uh and yeah. Mulholland drive but is there anything else that you want to mention at the top of the show here in terms of things that you've seen or you know anything man i mean i'm sure you've plugged your film here uh if you haven't seen the druid's hand yet that one that one i mean like my bias towards liking mitch aside was one of my favorites i saw at scream fest scream fest had so many cool short films i i think i got a new appreciation for short films through the through scream fest i didn't think i never really watched yeah a lot of short films i loved that one if you guys haven't seen it you gotta you gotta see that one because um yeah hopefully early new year we'll have it up okay uh, cool up for people to see but yeah that's actually another question i was gonna ask you because i i wanted to show that film to some people that i knew um because i just liked it a lot i wanted to show some of the ones that i remembered standout films from scream fest that was one of them definitely yeah absolutely i um i i know this is particularly a horror podcast so i haven't been watching like as far as like um where, where I've been at right now, it's like, it wasn't necessarily horror. Like the, the, um, I just watched uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, and I liked that one. We've talked about that three weeks in a row now. So it, it oh, really? Yeah, because uh, okay. yeah, my co-host saw it a couple of weeks ago. I watched it last week. I loved it. I, I, was, I really liked that one, too. Yeah, I, I have a thing away. for World War One. I. I always had a thing for World War One. I. I think it's like, it's, it's like, it's an environment that... I just want to see more. So I, I, that movie was so welcome to me and the performances and everything was amazing. The way that they recreated the actual history of that um, was just brilliant, especially from the German perspective too. Yeah. That's something you see often. You see it from the winner's perspective a lot more. Totally. And yeah, I love like what they do with, um, you know, their uniforms and like how they kind of see where the uniform begins and, the process it goes through you know being oh, like bullets yeah there's yeah. like bullet holes it's in the mud and then they clean it up stitch up the bullet holes and re-tag it for the next yeah. one it's yeah. so haunting and there, there's one scene that's obviously in a trench with a tank that i was like i think i'm never oh I'm never gonna god. forget that image yeah that was wow. like it's I, oh my god they it's so rare that they'll dump that amount of money into a world war one film actually that might be the only one that's probably the only one i can think of so I highly recommend that. As yeah. far as Netflix originals go, it's worth um, oh, one of the better of, ones. I'd, I'd yeah, say. yeah, throwing them a little bit of praise there because they're not usually like that. So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that awesome, man. Um, yeah, the last one I'm going to mention before we move on is I watched uh, The Addiction from 1995. Have you ever seen this? No, I haven't. It's a uh, it, legendary director Abel Ferrara who he's the the voice behind movies like Bad Lieutenant, King of New York, Miss 45, uh, Snake Eyes, the, the the original, not the Nick Cage one, um, okay. or the G.I. Joe movie. Okay, but okay. Uh, yeah, he actually recently, I haven't seen it yet, but he did a biopic on Pasolini, uh, who did like Salo. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but no, okay. I'm curious to I'm curious to see it. Because uh, yeah, I, I, Abel Ferrara has made hundreds of movies at this point. 
but yeah. I think uh, I'm very into, I wanted to mention this because this is one I think you would get a lot out of. Uh, it's, it is, it's a vampire film, but not in the way that you think it is. It's I like very, vampires. Yeah, I love vampires too. And I'm like currently like trying to crack one myself. Um, oh, okay. I, uh, this movie is definitely a massive influence on like the kind of stuff I want to, I want to explore, but it's, have you seen a girl walks home alone at night? Oh, I was recommended this. You would love times. that movie. Okay. Yeah, you would love it. But the okay. addiction is essentially like you can see the influence that this movie had on A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Okay. It's a black and white film. Uh, what's her? It's Christopher Walken and uh, Lily Taylor. Uh, okay. She's incredible in this film. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a really haunting, beautiful black and white crime horror film which is like it, it's it's a vampire tale but not in the way that you not not your general idea of vampires the 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 concept that you know from vampires isn't all here it's a little it's different it's a little fresh it's 100 an art house film i know it gets to it gets uh i've read a bunch of reviews where people find it to be quite pretentious Okay. <laughs> but that's one thing you and I also no, I like it on. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally. Like, you know what? Actually, Fuck it. We like pretentious shit. Like it's like, Yeah. No, yeah. I'm actually really intrigued. I like pretentious stuff. That leads me to actually I want to bring up one more movie before if we can Yeah. Move. No, absolutely. Yeah, I just on. yeah, this is one it's on Shutter right now, but it's a okay. mature poetic script. It's ripe with social commentary. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I've always been pulled towards like the philosophy and the deeper meanings behind movies. And I know that Uh I don't watch I'm the guy who I, I can look at a, look at a film like this and really want to dissect and peel back the layers, but then I can also throw on Beavis and Butthead do the universe or whatever. And I'll, I'll have fun. Like, uh, I'm not, you know, married to one genre, but this one sounds like sorry go ahead it's the kind of stuff that excites me these days and uh yeah i highly recommend checking out the addiction that sounds like it's right in my alley like right. it, it absolutely is like it's got that's nathan exciting. written all over it that's well, which one were you going to talk about so i'm really curious if you've seen this one because it's um I, I randomly stumbled upon it on the internet somehow and it came out in 2010 and like there's basically nothing about it online which is really interesting to me it's called beyond the black rainbow yeah, that's a uh, um, Panos Cosmatos. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I had, if anyone knew it, it'd be you. <laughs> I like, I hadn't heard anything about this film. And like, I, it is a good segue from like stuff that, or something that people can find pretentious. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, well, have you seen Mandy? No, I haven't. But I did, that one I did hear about and I really wanted to. And that's on my list now because this film kind of like oh, took man. me by surprise. So you you did see it and you liked it beyond the black. I I did like it. So I yeah. I I think that there are it it, it is. Um, we could talk about some flaws in the storytelling, but I don't think that that's where his. Um, I don't know if that's where the filmmakers. Not where his focus intentions. Was at. Yeah, yeah, his focus w- was at, and and that's something that I can like appreciate with it. I think that the visuals were just the, okay. So the stylistic approach that he took in general. So um, sound and visuals and the way he directed the actors and everything was so rich. And I felt like, and this is actually something that I, I was gonna bring up naturally, like talking about Mahon Drive, but somewhere where like the style and the form 
starts to um, starts to muddy up the overall objectives of the film. Like where where is the where's the sweet spot where with style like full stylistic approach and telling your story thematically. Where do you get to that point of you're going to start alienating the audience? And I think that film does a little bit, but it, 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 for me, it's like, that's such a huge thing to do with Lynch as well, though. Like Lynch does the same thing where the style is the substance. Right. Right. And that's, you know, I can understand why that would frustrate a lot of people and it wouldn't be everyone's bag. Yeah. I, I'm one of those people that I also highly like enjoy that kind of stuff. Like I, when when it's clear that that's what they're setting out to do, I'm on board. Like, right. It's like when you're watching Mandy or Beyond the Black Rainbow, it's like you're you are just watching a moving painting. And that yeah. sounds kind of up your own ass to say, but it's true. Like it's it's he's he's very much wanted to to convey a message through the visuals, right, not necessarily right. not necessarily just the dialogue. And I know that's something that Lynch does a lot as well. Yeah, it's and, it's telling the story and the themes through the visuals, and that's something everybody does, you know. But every director does that. It's at different levels, though, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you like that one, I highly recommend getting to Mandy ASAP. Uh huh. <laughs> Mandy yeah, no. is Mandy's a blast. Okay, yeah, that one was that one was on my list for sure. I mean, that was on my list since 2018 when I saw the promotional material because it just looked insane. So yeah. And then I no, found this one randomly. And it's just, yeah. It is nuts. It is nuts. And That's uh, exciting. yeah, I guess before we go into Mulholland Drive, let's just talk a little bit. Like, what do you got? Uh, what do you got coming up? You're you're finishing school. You're in, you're finishing up university right now, film school. Yeah. So uh, I'm in my last semester now. I'm working on a feature script. Um, uh, yeah, I'm still pretty um, in the beginning process of like that. I mean, the uh, beginning of the writing process, I guess. And then I have a short film that I want to develop as well. I'm a little bit, um, a little bit up in the air of wh- where to go, kind of waiting for um, just inspiration to answer that question for me. Because I'm not exactly sure what the best move is for like time and resources um, yeah. to w- which projects to follow. So, but I'm just kind of developing ideas. So I, I, I yeah, I. I want to make a feature um, ultimately. Of course. I just don't know how to get there, you know? Yeah. No, but that's, that's great to hear that. uh, Yeah. The, the only way that you'll ever get a feature made is if you have the feature ready to be made. So even if if now's not the time or, uh, or if you need to get another short under, you know, like you said, you go with the resources that you have. It's just awesome to know that you're, you're pushing forward and you'll have that. You can't sell a script that doesn't exist yeah exactly so, exactly you know, that was the it, thought process yeah yeah and i know there's a, a big difference between a lot of the people that you meet at something like scream fest and other people who are kind of trying to do this is uh there, there's a lot of work that goes into it before any of the work actually gets done if that makes any sense like you yeah know, having the scripts like if you if you see it as a waste of time to write a script that's never that could never be made you're just dooming yourself from the get-go because yeah would, you'll never have anything to work off of if you're exactly you know, there's my my uh unrequested unsolicited advice no i i completely agree though it especially in terms of just i mean even if so i was a little bit struggling with my feature idea right now in the in terms of like it might be just too big like in mm-hmm. terms of someone giving me um uh, an amount of money to make a first feature. I don't know if it would cover 
something like this, just because I'm a, you know, unknown director at the time, like getting a first debut feature budget might, it might just be too big. Um, but then like, back to your point, I think it's important just to like keep writing where the inspiration is because mm-hmm. um, even if that's not my first feature, it'll, it'll, it'll be a script and each script you write, I mean, gets better, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, no, I love to hear it. And uh, yeah, man, could just, uh, we have already talked about this off air, but congratulations on everything that you've achieved this year. And, oh, thanks so much. you know, it's so cool that we were able to meet and share that experience and, you know, get yeah. to meet your crew and your family. Your parents are absolutely lovely. And uh, yeah, no, it was just a really cool experience to be able to share that together. Yeah. Uh, and I can't wait to see what you do next. So thanks. Uh, and likewise, really, I, I, I was going to wait till like afterwards, but I'm so, so looking forward to hearing about like your, your projects that you're working on. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, well, we know we'll keep in touch. I know we, we like, this is a stuff we'll talk about off air. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Got to get our, our crew together again. Right. Uh, all yeah. the people like Matt and Annalise and. Yeah. Jensen, yeah. Exactly. All those amazing people. But yeah, uh, that was my favorite part about Screamfest was meeting you guys. Honestly. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. But uh, how about you say, let's uh, dive into, we'll take a little break here, but then when we come back, we're going to dive into the world of David Lynch and Mulholland Drive. Cannot wait. All right. We'll see you all on the other side. I can't believe it. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this dream place. This one comes highly recommended. What are you doing? Get out of the car. Yeah. The girl is still missing. What's wrong? I don't know who I am. I wonder where you were going. Hold the drive. Come on, it'll be just like in the movies. We'll pretend to be someone else. Welcome to our main feature presentation, or we are going to be discussing Nathan Gallagher's pick of the week, Mulholland Drive from 19, or sorry, 2001, uh, which was written and directed by David Lynch. It stars Naomi Watts, Laura Herring, Justin Thoreau. Uh, there's tons of other great character actors in here. Robert Forrester, uh, Patrick Fischler, like people who you see in a lot of David Lynch's other works. He's a guy who likes to bring back his crew. He hires who he likes, who he knows. Um, there's so many things to talk about with this man, and uh, it's it's about time. We're we're nearing 250 episodes of the Terror Table, and it's time for us to dig into the world of David Lynch. So let's kick off with that, Nathan. What what is it about? What made you want to choose? Like when we started talking, it was instantly that was like, which movie will we talk about? It was going to be Eyes Wide Shut or Mulholland Drive, which I love yeah. both of those movies. Yeah. But I 
I love Eyes Wide Shut. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Uh But I've always wanted to do an episode on this film in particular. Why why did it have an impact on you? What's it about this movie that that speaks to you so much? I think that his approach to um, the story, and yes, the story, so form aside, I think his approach to the story was, I mean, I don't, so absolutely unique. And um, whether it exactly portrayed his like what he intended or not i think it um it was so ballsy in the first place and so brilliantly represented um with a few exceptions yeah. <laughs> brilliant brilliantly pr- portrayed and i just love the overarching theme of the movie i love it so much i think it's um it's a perfect example of a film that it communicates its ideas less in a it's from a feeling that you get while watching the scenes. I think he con- I think he constructs the scenes with the way he directs the actors, the sounds, um, sometimes music and then like the visuals um, that all work together in a, a feeling when you watch it. I think there's a couple other directors that um, are, are relevant to that conversation as well. But like rather than rather than using the all of these techniques like sound music and direction and all that stuff to portray the story. He uses it to portray the themes. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that makes that movie so unique. Yeah. It's the themes and the feelings that he makes. And, and that's something he's, it's been no secret. Like David Lynch will, he's one of my favorite just personalities to like Mm -hmm. watch in interviews and stuff. Like he's so funny and I love that he just, he won't ever do anything that he doesn't want to do. And he'll never answer a question that he doesn't want to answer. Yes. And I like that about him. And uh-huh. I know some people see it as pretentious, but I don't feel like he has ever given off. He, he has never given off the, the vibe that he thinks that he's smarter than the audience. It's whether yeah. the audience wants to go along with what he wants to show or not. It's like That's he's great very much. He, he's based as a he's, he was originally a fine artist. And that makes so much sense, especially when you see his paintings and the stuff that he's he's made. It makes so much sense that this man creates these kinds of stories. And also, I think like what I I notoriously don't like dream logic most of the time, but there's very few exceptions. And David Lynch is someone who frequently dives into dream logic. Yeah, I think it's the people who try to be too much like Lynch that aren't Lynch. They can't right. really pull it off the way that he does. Right. It comes off as disingenuine and like it never feels that way in, in Mulholland Drive or my personal favorite piece of his, like Mulholland Drive is probably my favorite movie he's made, Okay, but I'm a massive Twin Peaks fan. Yes. Like, I love, yeah. yeah. I love Absolutely. Twin Peaks. Absolutely. And like Twin Peaks Firewalk with me is one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen in the sense that the feeling that that movie gave me it's like you know the 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 uh bonnie bonnie aaron's her character i the homeless person in mulholland drive yeah it's like that sequence but for two hours yeah i agree yeah and it's just so it, tough it's so yeah. blood curdling and stomach churning hearing laura palmer just scream for two hours oh my God. yeah that, that one scene with um yeah, yeah that one scene um but yeah and and that's something that twin peaks doesn't necessarily feel like so it's interesting to get that 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 film was so standalone with the same characters 
Totally. I, I am a huge Twin Peaks fan. I yeah. absolutely love it. It was my favorite TV show until Atlanta recently, but yeah, yeah. I love that. I still haven't seen Atlanta. I've heard it's incredible. I need, it to, I need to get on incredible. that. Yeah, my coworkers keep on talking about there's a goofy episode. <laughs> oh no, kind of, it, but kind of, of, yeah. Yeah, they said it's amazing. Yeah, but no, that's totally. but that's the thing too, is I'm sure you know this too, but for our audience, that Mulholland Drive was originally meant to be a spin-off or like a, yeah. a standalone uh tv series mm-hmm. like connected to twin peaks it was going to be the story of audrey horn going to hollywood and uh it works so well even thinking about that i actually didn't know it was connected to those characters i knew it was going to be a tv show and he wanted it to be episodic originally but yeah. i didn't know it was connected to the twin peaks that's interesting. yeah or- originally it was going to be audrey making it to her her tale of making it to hollywood and mm-hmm. she's one of that's my favorite just... characters in twin peaks too like yeah that's, i agree that's a show that just has it has 500 characters and all of them are my favorites like yeah, yeah so many good unique characters yeah but it, it totally makes sense like it, it the the film really does have that that otherworldly mm-hmm. like lynch universe feeling and aesthetic right like it feels it, like the, the these these characters could only exist in the world of lynch and that's what i love so much about its work uh-huh and it's also genuine in that world yeah it's like totally. you said, um, how you mentioned he was a fine artist and a painter before he turned to film. And I always love this story that I heard um, him tell about how he was staring at a painting and it made him feel something. And through what he was feeling, looking at this painting, he, he starts to see the painting move and change. Mm-hmm. And that's what made him want to get into filmmaking. And, and it, that explains Eraserhead entirely. That, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's so interesting because um, like... It's about when you watch a David Lynch movie, what do you feel? And it's, it's similar to when you look at a painting that strikes something within you. It's a feeling. It's, an, it's a, something that uh, you can only achieve through, like, I don't know. It's, it's almost it's impossible to define. It's, it's art, you know. Um, yeah. No, and it totally. And the films like, have you take seen... that for, um, approach always. Yeah, no, and, the, and there's like some of my recent favorite movies do that as well. And like, once again, just at the running the risk of losing listeners thinking that like, it's sound up my own ass or anything like that. But Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin is such a, have you seen that film? No, I haven't. No. That you, Tonight, you got to watch Under the Skin. Okay. Like that, okay. That's going to be your new favorite movie. Oh, Under geez. the Skin. I believe you too. <laughs> like for real, man. Like that, that is absolutely going to be man that movie's gonna rock you but okay, awesome it's such a prime example of like clearly glazer was inspired by lynch as well and he just he gets it he understands it he makes it work but then there's some films that take these same approaches but it's not genuine so it comes off as boring and right yeah it exactly. feels like you're watching an inside joke that you don't know any of it's like mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense to you but and obviously Eraserhead makes no sense but that's kind of what makes it brilliant. Is right. Yeah. It was originally a twenty-page script for a short film that he stretched out into a feature that he made. <laughs> the movie shot for like nine months. Yeah. yeah, it's so crazy thinking about like they had to get a new DOP on that movie because they they ran out of money to pay the one guy. And when you watch Eraserhead, it's like what possibly took this fucking long? <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah. To know Lynch. It's like two and, locations. Yeah. Yeah. Actually this week too, as I, like I was, I, it, it's a annual thing that I do is I get obsessive. Like there's certain things that 
um it used to be honestly i i i do love the harry potter series like the, i always watch those at christmas but i've now seen them so many times that i have different rotations in the year like i just went through my before before trilogy rotation where i do that like once a year and i just get in that mood for a week and okay. this week really thanks to you bringing this to the table i uh i went down a lynch rabbit hole again i always <laughs> do it and i read his i read his book room room to dream uh there's there's an audiobook version of it on audible that i highly recommend for anyone who's interested in his work because it's between him and it's like one chapter is read by they cover the same events of the same years like it's someone doing a biography on lynch and then this all of the topics that she touches on in the next chapter it's from his perspective talking about the same things and it's amazing because there's never the same story told twice that's what is so brilliant is like just hearing Lynch describe his stories about yeah. even like there's some really great tidbits about him making Dune um, and Blue Velvet, which is another favorite of mine out of out of his same. filmography. Same. That's uh, my second but, favorite. Yeah. 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 Same here. Uh, and Blue. Uh, what's it called? Sorry. Um, what's the other one? Lost Highway. Lost but Highway. and Drive. They talk about a lot in that book as well. But yeah, I think I'm also, I think I lost my train of thought of where I was going. I just got excited. because. No, I, and just to touch on what, something that you brought up, like about how some other people don't necessarily like when they, when they're inspired by David Lynch, I think, and they try to um, implement that inspiration into their own work. It's, um, it's a little bit confused sometimes because I think the thing with David Lynch and something that makes his work kind of like ethereal on a different level is you watch it and I, I mean, everybody who has seen Mulholland Drive probably didn't have any idea what the hell they just watched their first time. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you can tell that there is intention behind it. That mm. was something that um, just struck me so much with his, with his work and I'm like able to articulate it now, but like, I had no idea what the hell that movie was trying to say my first time watching it. I think I was like 16 or something. I had no idea. I was just like, Oh, it's way too heavy for that, but it's yeah, also, true. <laughs> yeah. it's very, it's heavy, but it's also like most of his other work. You can still like, I watched twin peaks, some of it when I was younger and I clearly didn't get it, but I was still entertained by it. Right. And, it's like, you don't have to get it to understand that there is intention behind it. And yeah, even with it still those tells crazy, a story, right those crazy things that happened in a race for head, like the worms coming out of the ceiling or whatever, and then her, the girl in the vent and all that stuff. It's like, he had that idea to represent something. It wasn't, he didn't put that in there to con- just to confuse people or make people like, like, Oh, this exactly. is a weird movie. That was representing something to him. He would never tell anybody what it was, but it meant something to him in that story. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. And like, so yeah, that brings me, let's talk a little bit about, so what are your, cause this is a movie that has been theorized to death. Like it's people. And that's yeah. one of the things that's so joyous about his, his films and specifically Mulholland drive is trying to find the different meanings as to what, like, mm-hmm. I'm one of, like I said to you, you, there's you, I love being able to just watch a movie, turn your brain off and have some fun, but I also love studying intent. Of yeah, like what, totally. why each of these decisions was made and what it could represent and he's such an iconic filmmaker in the sense that you know with uh with our lead Naomi Watts's character yeah. uh she like how she finds the key and you know there's all these like little symbols so it's like okay this is clearly going to come back 
eventually, and it does. But what is your interpretation of Mulholland Drive? Yeah, this is a this is the fun part. I'm curious yeah. to compare ours. Um, okay, so I watched this movie today. Um, she and the, so with my theory, there are a couple issues, which is why I'm looking forward to discussing this because um, with my theory, she was dreaming for the entirety of the film until she goes through the box, which is when she wakes up. And then after that sequence, there's like a third act where she is, it, he's um, explaining how terrible her life is in reality and all these decisions that she made that compounded to make her absolutely hate her life. And in her dream, she is imagining a better way that all of these events played out. Um, so I think she, we're allowed to spoil this one, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to dig right in deep. Okay, cool. Yeah. So she fell in love with um, Rita's character in real life. Um, and that stuff that happens in the third act with her falling in love with the director is that, that is real life. And all of those people that she sees at the dinner party, mm-hmm. that dinner party did happen. And she, sees these random people and they stick in her subconscious and showed up in her dream because they stuck in her subconscious and they were all different people in her dream, different characters, because it's a, it's the world that she wanted to happen. It's the, like um, this, how she wanted that sequence of events to play out. Um, And like we can, so that, that explanation could answer a lot of the scenes, why they happen. And then there's a few that just still, stick out and don't make any sense yeah (laughs) in in that context yeah i'm curious to get to those but i'm i'm Uh very similar in my take on it my my take specifically this time around is that the whole film is about the price of dreams and what what you the the toll it takes on you when specifically under the lens of fame and hollywood and chasing that kind of recognition chasing that sort of lifestyle and I think a lot of it, like, I also agree that I think most of the film is a dream and it's her trying to justify the mania that she spiraled into that led to her having her, her lover killed and trying to justify as why, like why she would have done that. And it's almost like she's gaslighting herself Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, just coming, coming to terms with like, the price of like her she spirals into mania over this obsession with hollywood and specifically rita even like you said like with that theory some of the stuff still doesn't add up um specifically one thing like this is jumping way ahead but the one that i knows even you know reading other people's theories online is like well, the characters the the for lack of better terms the old folks that are mm-hmm. in like the back of the cab who are they what do they represent and why are they maniacally cackling and laughing and chasing her in her house and then shrinking down to little people right like i my my take is those are absolutely her parents yeah that's i don't know if that makes sense either (laughs) either the either her parents because i don't it doesn't explicitly say ever even when you see them in the beginning does it so either her parents or maybe you could speculate um uh like just the how the older generation would judge her for her decisions or like or just i mean 
yeah more no absolutely like, like how they would judge her for how, the direction she took her life and now that she is a failure all of these things that she wanted to happen she ended up failing and now it's like that judgment could be on her yeah. um and also like it I, I always think this when it comes to films that you have to really dig deep and analyze it's like how how much of a possibility is it? And I'm not taking any stance here. I'm genuinely don't, I don't know, but how much of a possibility is it that David Lynch would just put something in there because it was scary to him Oh, and not necessarily like, I think absolutely. If you've seen Twin Peaks, the return, right. Your question is answered right there. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great point. Actually. (laughs) Absolutely. Like Bob's head floating. in the. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And he's always been that way. He's always thrown in things that just, and that uh, that actually brings up another good point is that I think a lot of this film, after reading his book, I feel like a lot of this was him kind of working through some of his own personal shit, like mm-hmm. uh, the whole relationship between Justin Theroux and Rita. I feel there's a little bit of him kind of coming to terms with the way that he treated his first wife in the sense that he what a lot of people don't know is he fell in love with um, uh, on, on Blue Velvet. He fell in love with uh, Isabella Rossellini. They they fell in love in the shooting of. Is she of, the woman in the apartment? She like in Blue Velvet. She's the the she's Dorothy Balance, like the main character. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't. I feel like some of that was a little self-referential. I could be entirely wrong, huh. uh, but that's that's something I kind of took from it. And you know, yeah, you, it really is self-reflective in the terms of how you treat people in this industry. And, you know, the price that people pay to want to be a player in this, this game. I think you're, you're highlighting a good point that I don't think I thought of um, as much like the, the setting of Hollywood um, Mm -hmm. and what relevance that has and her wanting to break into the film industry um, in particular, rather than a different setting. Um, it is interesting. I didn't necessarily, but yeah, from a, like a larger thematic standpoint, I think you're definitely onto something there with how, especially with um, Camilla. Yeah. Especially with her character, how her character treats um, Betty at the end and how everything felt like transactional. Yep. It definitely did. And I feel like there's a lot of lines in between the two of them as the story progresses that kind of show a little bit of uh, Betty being like facetious and jealous of the success that her lover's having yeah. when they both set out to do the same thing from the beginning. And, you know, there's like, you know, she, she even makes comments at the dinner scene about how uh, Rita Rita's the, the lead, but Betty has more lines and this kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, that that that's another theme that's tackled uh in this just monolith of a movie (laughs) yeah there's too many themes i think yeah yeah but at the end of the day it's just it is just a very it's a very entertaining movie i feel like it works without it even even it will not make total sense even to the people like us who are trying to dissect everything but unlike a razor head i feel like you can watch and i actually i like a razor head but this is just clearly a better movie. Like it's, it's I completely a, agree. Yeah, it's a it's a great story that that works, and you know it 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 eventually divulges into the cream of the crop Lynchian territory, where like we just mentioned the 
how those the old folks shrink down and are chasing her around the apartment and there's yeah. all the strobe lights and like that's such a lynch thing that he's done in so many of his films is yeah like simulates lightning in a room and then the darkness of her like you know there's the all the fog and it's representing her shooting her brains out <laughs> yeah i don't know how that film was marketed when it came out because i'm yeah. one years old but uh, how is that not a horror movie how is that not a psychological thriller or horror movie like that's yeah. objectively what Mahon drive is totally um, a psychological like, thriller yeah no it absolutely isn't it but it it has scenes of deep deep terror like mm-hmm. and yeah. that's why i you know, uh, we've very rarely gone off into like the fringe territories of horror on this show. We generally try to stick with like the exact genre, but this is one though that I think that it does enough to still be justified. I, you know, if I was working at the video store like I did back in the day, I wouldn't put this under the horror section. Uh, but it it has those moments that are scarier than some of the <laughs> like. There's some genuinely terrifying moments in this film. And mm-hmm. just the imagery is, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a horror filmmaker because I was inspired by these movies yeah, that totally. are considered horror movies. But um, if God, that scene is horrifying. The scene in the um, theater, which I'm sh- sure we'll get around to and talk yeah, about that. Talk about it right now. Yeah, that, that scene is, is really scary to me. I mean, it's like, the atmosphere that he builds in that scene is is like um it's 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 an unknown part of her subconscious and there's no use in trying to categorize it or understand this part of her mind it's just simply an atmosphere it's completely unknown impossible to understand i i think that scene is like it's 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 scary on like a on on just a subconscious level. He was definitely intending to scare you in that scene. Yeah, no, it's, absolutely. I feel like he kind of does that in all of his movies. Yeah, like totally. all of them have have scenes like that. Um, specifically, Twin Peaks: The Return. <laughs> the, yeah, the yeah. third season is just yeah, it's it's absolutely insanity. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it, but it goes completely off the rails at some points. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, I feel like all of his movies kind of do, but that's why I think that this one in particular is arguably his best work. Uh, Cause it just, it, it, like we've said already, it works as just a, a movie and a, the, even the story, it doesn't make it all, all doesn't make sense all the way through for a lot of people. I'm sure, but it's just, it's entertaining front to back. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other theories that you have on Mulholland Drive? Yeah, there's individual scenes that um, I find myself trying to like fit into that explanation that I made for it. Like, for example, the cowboy. Um, yeah. What? What? <laughs> where does that fit in? Other than um, so, okay, this brings up like a, a good segue to that can connect a bunch of these. She's in her in her dream world she's an absolutely brilliant actress that scene when she auditions with the older man and she does that um i hate you i hate us both that scene um she's like that scene is just palpable she's an absolutely incredible actress she would have nailed these scenes when um 
when she goes in to see the the women who are auditioning and singing and it's the it's the girl that that they're um forcing him to cast as the lead and and she's auditioning but the director looks over at her she she has a naturalness about her that um makes her so she's a just a brilliant actress she's she should be the one on top but she's not the only reason she's not is there's this overarching um organization whatever the guys with the money behind this film that are pulling all the strings that's the only reason she didn't she's not getting what she wants like mm-hmm. that's the only reason that other girl got it was because they forced the director to pick that girl instead of him naturally picking her and um so full circle to the cowboy what what is the cowboy other than so obviously we fitting in there some type of some type of person working with this um with these guys that have all this money forcing the director to do um to make the decisions they want him to make um but like let's be real there's more to the cowboy than that you know what i yeah. mean and i don't know exactly well i think one of the things that's so interesting about the cowboy in particular is that he shows up before in a different like he's just a background character and like so what i think it is that he's just a a person that she saw and he stand, stood out to her because he's a cowboy he stands at the party out. yeah and he's just yeah. in the background but then oh. she uses him as a, the vessel to explain to herself that theory that she has like that there's like the more grand picture this is where she's like really starting to spiral and starting to try and justify what where event where this we know the story is going to go because she knows from the beginning because we're watching her dream Mm -hmm. and i feel like he's just the vessel to convey that side of the story and that's kind of the most significant part about him I think yeah. part of him just being like a character in the background is what makes it so significant. He's he's like portrayed as almost an otherworldly being. And it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting. I love that scene so much because the, the light is off. And then as he walks up, the light flickers on. It's like he brings with him this charge, this like energy with him. And it's yeah. like, it's so interesting. And it could just be like we talked about earlier, Lynch. And it's, it's dream logic also. But mm-hmm. Lynch just wanting to have a scene, write this dialogue, write this character that is intimidating and extremely intimidating in a weird, unexplainable way. But I just love how I just I just love that scene. I love how he built the atmosphere around that. Um, it's just wonderful. I love the cowboy. And um, if you notice, he says um, he says. And I, I don't know what stance to take on this, but he says, um, if you do good, you'll see me once more. If you do bad, you'll see me twice more, something like that. Yeah. And, um, you end up, he shows up twice more in the film past that. It's, yeah. cur- it's, it's curious if there might've been some intention behind there. The audience ends up seeing him two more times. Did we do bad in some way? Do mm-hmm. we do do we do bad encouraging encouraging this like we play a role in it we play, play a role, role in the in the a, system right in the system that drove her the lead character to madness like, yeah no I think absolutely and that's why you know so much of this 
is clearly it it has to be a commentary on the industry to begin yeah. with and especially he was at this point lynch had he had had so many experiences as let's also quickly mention that that it is so wild that a director like david lynch could have these mainstream movies that were getting rec- recognized by the oscars even it makes no sense I've been asking myself that question for so long now. Like yeah. now when, when we see those voices come out, they, they come in the form of like a Panos Cosmatos who did uh, exactly. Mandy and beyond. The, and like they they will never be in like the, the cultural zeitgeist the way that Lynch was like. It, it's crazy. But uh, I think a big part of that, too, was his connection to Dune. And I, I'm not sure how much you know about the story behind like how that movie just destroyed him. And it, it wasn't meant for him uh honestly i like david lynch's dune uh but not for like i don't know i just think it i like lynch's brain so it's entertaining for me is is it a perfect movie far from it but i think that was he's always been vocal about how he'll never do anything where he doesn't have final cut again Mm -hmm. because that's what happened with dune he he doesn't need to be a paid for hire director he doesn't need to go like he's doing these things because he loves it he wants to tell his stories and that's not a luxury that people really have these days like a lot of like let's not let's be real here if we if either of us were offered a a job to direct a film that we don't believe fully in the script you would you wouldn't immediately be like no i'm not doing it because of my integrity it's you kind of need to do that to get to the next step so that you right. can start making the stuff that you really want to make. Because the, um, the only way, change. yeah. And like, uh, but Lynch has never had to worry about that. And I think that that's a conversation that he has a lot in this movie. And like a lot of the, the meanings behind it all boil down to his experience with, with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also, I also like that we're talking about this as we, we met in Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we, we had that experience. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I remember I was we were taking it. Me and Jesse were taking an Uber to Universal Studios. And I was just we, like, I think the night before we were out drinking, like you do every night there. It's and, a fan house, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I like look up and I see the sign. It was like Mulholland Drive. I'm like, oh, ooh, I was such a tourist. Yeah. I pull up my phone to take a picture. I'm like, why did I take a picture of a street sign? it's not uh, just a street sign no totally and uh there's so much there's a lot of significance that like i i don't know how much this actually feeds into it because i just know i've heard lynch talk about how there was like a famous incident with jack nicholson where he took a he he garnered the nickname mulholland man because he took a a golf club to like one of his agents or like there's a producer he shattered someone's windshield on Mulholland Drive oh and uh I think that that also I could be very much reaching here but you know having an actor kind of snap that could have probably played a little bit of a like a little proved to be a little bit of influence on what he's trying to convey with the film yeah I mean there is a scene where the director of smashes their car in the beginning with the golf exactly club. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh and i that's what i think he was kind of being definitely referential to the times yeah and uh but it's crazy that you know the movie is at this point what 23 20 21 years old 22 yeah. years old yeah and it still rings true so much of it like there's uh that just essentially uh, i keep re- i feel like i'm repeating myself now at this point but like 
the price of Hollywood. And, you know, for a lot yeah. of these people who are in it for the wrong reasons. I do think one of my big draws to that film before I started really, or, or I think I saw this before I started really delving into analyzing films, like from a thematic standpoint and stuff. But one of the things that drew me to it, uh, like before all that was like, it's, it's like insider feeling of Hollywood. Um, it, mm-hmm. I just think it portrays it um, a really, really genuinely. And it obviously does because Lynch was there. He would know. Um, yeah. And how it portrays the director and how they talk to the director and how they treat him and how they would end up forcing him to do what um, they're bidding. And it, it, it always just felt so genuine. And um, it, it, was, it's, it's, it adds so much to, to the thematic um, storytelling of that film, just the setting of Hollywood. And I, yeah, I, I love that. So much. Um, he was, oh, he's been my favorite character in that film since the beginning. I just- Say, say again, you cut out there for a second. Which character? I love the director character so Justin much. Justin yeah. Oh yeah, Adam, some, yeah, Adam something, yeah. yeah. Um, I just love him. It always felt so genuine. It was like an insider look of the life of a Hollywood director, which I've kind of been interested in for a while because I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. It just felt so genuine. I love his, I love his character, even though it's just a plot device. He's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. I, yeah, he's, he's great. And uh, that's another thing I love about Lynch is he, he has notoriously cast non-actors in in a lot of his roles just because he gets a feeling about someone he also like he he has cast so many people who didn't even they they don't need to read lines for him he just has a conversation with them and that's enough and i really like that approach for him it doesn't work for everyone obviously but he finds a way to make it work um but there's a story about him even having justin Thoreau come in to to meet with him that day and he had like the messy hair and he looks the way that he does in in the film and apparently lynch like from that moment he's like that's him this is like don't change a thing about yourself this is what i want that's and awesome thoreau is a great actor and yeah, yeah he, he crushes it everyone in this film is tremendous mm-hmm. yeah totally do you got uh do you have anything else you want to talk about in terms of mulholland drive um the diner scene i think is worth talking about and the way he builds the atmosphere in that scene. Are you talking about like um, the opening? Because there's two diner scenes. Are we talking about the one where it eventually leads to the homeless person? Yeah. So not the one where she's talking to the hitman. Yeah. Which, which I think the hitman is worth bringing up also. A totally. Bit. I think both of those scenes actually correlate. Like I think yeah. that they're having, that was one thing I, I'm totally per- paraphrasing here, but, uh, and that's like in the early, early first act of the film. Uh, with, yeah those two characters and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something along the lines of like, I had a dream about this place. Well, it was the second dream I've had. They were both the same, but one was light and one was dark. And I think that that's totally clearly commenting on Betty, the, the blonde. And then uh, uh, what, what, uh, my God, why am I drawing a blank? Jesus. Uh, Rita. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rita. And then uh, it's, you know, you're, you're watching, it's two stories that are yeah. technically playing out. It's the one that actually happened. And then the dream logic. Uh-huh. And I find that really interesting, but what did you take from it? 
That is so interesting because I didn't like put that together with the with that line in particular. Keep in mind, but, I've um, seen this movie like eight times at this point. Yeah, and, like I just picked up on that this time, and, yeah. and I picked up. I you find new things because you want to theorize like what it could mean and everything. And that uh-huh. one stood out to me is that one was light, one was dark. Mm-hmm. It felt like they're clearly paralleled. Like, yeah. So what is? I guess the question comes down to. So, so obviously she, she met that real hitman in real life at that diner, that diner stuck with her in her subconscious, something bad happened in that diner in the sense of she, I mean, she made that decision that ended up um, killing Yeah. Killing her, her, her love. So something bad happened in that, um, in that diner, that, that is about as far as my interpretation of that scene went though. She, they go into like behind the dumpster and that, that creatures there, that representation of like a dark, a dark side of her, the dark side of her that she let win in that moment um, Mm -hmm. that she let destroy something for her that she ended up like truly, truly regretting. Um, I have no idea why it's the, the two men in that scene in her dream. I don't know why that was relevant or how that is relevant i guess i should say yeah that uh, that i can't crack either yeah i do think it's interesting and worth, worth noting that uh bonnie aarons who plays the homeless person like the it, people call her the witch mm-hmm. uh because she's like all like just dirty and creepy that's the the nun from the conjuring universe oh really I had yeah no idea. She, she went on to play the nun which oh, is like yeah that's cool yeah 15 she's, years she's later. incredible like yeah. she's just so she's got like just her fit her her physical acting uh-huh. she could not deliver she, she's proven it three times now that she can carry a movie without delivering a line yeah true i mean she was probably she's probably on screen for maybe 50 seconds total but you um, remember with it. the first yeah, yeah you remember her she's yeah, never she's one of the most it. memorable moments that diner scene and also with the atmosphere that he did in that scene how like David Lynch can make two people sitting in a diner talking to each other actually scary, actually yeah. like build dread. It's totally. it's uh, a lot through that the one guy's acting, but um, it's just uh, it, it's I just I love that about him. It's yeah. he 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 can he he makes you understand when you're when you're supposed to be scared. Um, yeah, but absolutely. you don't. But you're just you just end up scared. You don't you don't think he's doing anything to you in the movie. It's just I have so been inspired by how he does that. Like um, builds the atmosphere like through just like the formalist approach to filmmaking. How he builds the atmosphere to communicate with you your subconscious. I think that's like how David Lynch makes movies is, and he 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 meditates all the time and he gets his movies yeah. through like his meditation and yeah and it's like it's like he's communicating with his own subconscious and he's, yeah. he's taking things from his subconscious dreaming and his subconscious or his own, like delving into his subconscious mind and tries his hardest to implement those into his films. Like um, that well, is just so admirable. Yeah. And he's such a character, like such a, and it's weird because he had a good upbringing, like I stuff that I highly recommend people checking out. I'm not sure if you have what, first of all, that book I, I mentioned room to dream. That's amazing. Um, but the art life, the documentary on him, I've seen, seen it. it. Yeah. I have the yeah. criteria and I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's great. And like, that's the thing that that doc is just, it's so much a mood. 
like all yeah. of his his films like they are just you know at their core they are a mood and yeah. I think yeah you mentioned it he he is a he transcendental meditates yeah and uh, that's something that like even reading his book and hearing him talk about it like has made me want to give it a try because like I I was med I tried meditating I got into meditating a little bit actually when I first started making the druid's hand like when I was just going through a lot at the time and I was doing it to kind of cope with like anxiety and just trying to it wasn't it wasn't for the film at all but that was when I was getting a lot of work done and then I fell out of it and then all of a sudden it's like oh now here's the writer's block or you yeah. know where do you go from here so it works for a lot thing. of people yeah the same exact uh, thing happened with me I fell out of it I ended up doing it um it's so hard mostly to... because yeah I know just keeping on that routine it yeah. you convince yourself it's not worth your time or whatever but... you got to do it so many times where nothing's gonna work and still stick to it before yeah. it starts working like that's the hardest part about it for me yeah i got into it originally like transcendental meditation in particular because of david lynch and this was years ago um and i did it consistently for a couple of months and it just fell off but mm. there was a tangible difference when i was yeah and, and it's so interesting because david the way david lynch puts it um it's and i i don't get my ideas this way so it's interesting to hear how other artists get their ideas yeah but david lynch said it he 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 like he likened it to fishing like he sits down and he meditates and keeping that open um headspace of letting a thought come in and then letting it naturally flow through and leave the other side like keeping that absolute meditative headspace it's like casting a reel into the water and mm -hmm. you let it sit there and eventually maybe you'll just catch something. Yeah. Um, that's brilliant. I never thought of it that way. It, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I don't, cause it, I've never heard of another filmmaker coming up with actual ideas that they make into films that way, because you can come up with stylistic ways, really creative ways to, end up pushing your stories forward like scene by scene but he comes up with overarching ideas through just digging within his subconscious mind like that is that is so interesting to me like i mean i come up with ideas like what would i want to see in a movie how would i mm -hmm. make a movie that would be like the most interesting movie possible and then i think like subconsciously as an artist that stuff does come through during your actual like execution of it but yeah. not necessarily in the conceptualization and it's so interesting how he conceptualizes with that part of his mind and um yeah and you can so clearly see it in his work that's mm -hmm. how this whole thing was conceptualized the whole thing is within naomi watts's um subconscious which is within david lynch's subconscious it's yeah. so cool <laughs> no and i i love that and it's it's i feel like that's what makes me i i like i started liking his work even more after i got to know him as a person and it's because you know even when i share this story it makes it sound like he's pretentious but he's i don't feel like he is because yeah. like there's a famous interview where someone like asks him um like can you he's like so many people want to have me here and talk about the movie but the movie is the talking <laughs> and yeah. he like laughs at them like and it's it's so true though for him it's like and it's the same with uh someone asked them like 
you you have said before that Eraserhead is your most spiritual film. And he's like, yeah. They're like, can you elaborate on that? He goes, no. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> it keeps going. Yeah. Keeps the conversation going. It's just so fucking funny. Yeah. Um, and I know he actually, I'm not sure if you know about this. I I just heard about this because uh, I post about David Lynch a lot. Like I love his every Friday he posts. Uh, yeah, his weather. Yeah, yeah his, his report. The report, yeah. Um, but it was pointed out to me that apparently he had like, uh, there there was a, a point where people really were turning on him because he made a political stance that people thought he was a Trump supporter. And I think that it was completely misunderstood. And There's he no actually- way. There's no way when you look at his movies and like what you can't watch Blue Velvet and tell me that that man's that his ideologies align with Trump. There's no way. And he he did eventually have a because he said something like um, it it, it was taken out of context. He said, I believe that Trump could be the best president of all time. And he did say that, but in the con, it was taken out of context. He was saying like, if he were to turn the ship around and like, you know, if he were to make some different decisions, he's like, you, you have all this power and you've turned so many people away from each other. Now imagine what you could do with that power that you have. Right. And, but you know, we, we live in such a reactionary society that people were just so quick. Like I looked up, there were so many people who just got rid of their lynch. Like they turned on him entirely. And I'm like, fuck that sucks that we live in a world like that where you know i don't know i i just wanted to mention like because i did dig deep enough into it to now be comfortable in taking the stance that he is absolutely not a trump supporter there's There's literally no no way he's a trump supporter if you know (laughs) anything about him he's it's like impossible yeah no for sure but But yeah uh, like about your point of um like him not he he doesn't elaborate on the meanings of his movies it's like he probably couldn't even if he wanted to mm-hmm. it's these ideas from his subconscious imagine someone saying to you like um dig deep within your unconscious desires and fears and and then elaborate on that to me it's like not yeah. entirely fair to ask somebody um, no especially when he's he's is doing that already he's just showing it in a visual right. way that's the, and that's the only way to really communicate that. That's why he says like the film is the communication. Yeah, he's not. He can't. I, it's like a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of the time people make art because they can't articulate the ideas that they exactly. want with words. You know, especially if you see his work. Like you see, that's what I love so much too about him. His character in Twin Peaks is yeah. he's so he's such a joyous. And even when you you see him in interviews, you you read about him, you you listen to him talk. And he's such a joyous human, but he has these a horrendous dark side to him that is unlike any other filmmaker out there. And like that's what makes him have such a unique voice. Yeah. And uh, that I, I just I absolutely love the dichotomy of what's going on in that man's brain. And something that's what I was getting at with the art life. There's a part where he talks about like his parents were worried because he was like bringing home roadkill. He was he was, ex- I remember he was that, yeah. displaying signs of like serial killer tendencies uh-huh. and i love thinking about that that he even consciously talks about it in the film that he's like he started putting it into his art like he was making like a piece and he was like gluing a dead rat or something on the, onto yeah. a painting and it's like instead of you know he, there, there there very well could be a world where david lynch turned into be a serial killer but instead he took all that motivation that like a serial killer would have and put it into his work into making yeah. art and like 
it's it's a healthy it's a healthy expression of your demons yeah and and he obviously explores those in his films totally totally they're all they're all like they're all very dark yeah Um, yeah no i love it and uh i feel like this is a movie that we could talk for three hours and still not even scratch the surface yeah Uh, but i i feel like we've done a pretty pretty good job here is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of mulholland drive anything stand out to you that you want to mention um i guess last thing blue hair lady yes what what are your thoughts because i have i don't know i have that that's when i have no clue okay cool (laughs) yeah i have no idea i'm sorry i I wish i could have a theory but that's one that has slipped past me i I, yeah i know that same here i was hoping we could have some type of dialogue on that or you could you could spark something in me some idea i I have no idea i feel like it's just like you know it's a it's visually uncomfortable and stands out so much much like the cowboy and like that that's pretty much what i take from it is and then that's how dreams feel. Like, I don't know how many dreams you've had where something is just so incredibly out of place. Right. But in that world, it's like, well, you, it it's just your subconscious making it. Yeah. It just obviously means something, whether that yeah. thing is defined or not, it's obviously relevant. And that could just be, it's, it's only purpose is to just be obviously relevant. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah no, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this was a blast. It was always great catching up with you, and I'm sure yeah. we'll do it. Keep doing it uh, as we move forward. Hopefully, you make it down to Canada at some point, and yeah. vice versa. I make it up to Detroit. The the 810 is that what they call it? Is that your area code? 810. No, we're, we're 313. Oh, 313. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about uh, 810. Might be everybody. Yeah, okay. 313. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there we go. That no, makes sense. Awesome, man. Well, do you have, let's, uh, where can people follow you? And I specifically like yourself and your, your film account and your production company. Yeah. Our, well, yeah. Thanks so much for letting me plug it really quick. Um, yeah. We're called Name Rouge Productions. N A I N. Um, yes. N A I N. And then Rouge is spelled R O U G E. Um, yeah. The name Rouge is an old Detroit legend. Um, of a little demon that was seen before disaster in old colonial times in, in Detroit. That's so that's cool. where I, it kind of stems from. That's really cool. I did not know that, but it, obviously that explains the little, the little devil character. Yeah. Right that's our logo. Yeah. So yeah, we have a little devil logo. Um, if you recognize it. So that's our handle on um, all socials. We're most active on Instagram. And then um, yeah, that's where you'd be able to keep up with any stuff I, I make and um and then fake plastic blood, which is still on its festival run right now. Um, fake plastic blood, uh, all lowercase is the handle on Instagram. If anyone was interested in watching that, um, there are, will be online screeners um, through different um, festivals as it continues in its run. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have one coming up? Um, we have shock fest coming up in December awesome. 10th um, is I think December 10th is when it opens up and then there will be a virtual screening available for about a, a week, I think where awesome. people would be able to like buy tickets and virtually screen it on there. So yeah, if anyone was interested in that um, information, we also have fakeblessingblood.com and then mainrushproductions.com. Um, all one word, all lowercase. You can look up any of those. Yeah. And then Nathan Gallagher bro. Yeah. That's um, my personal Instagram. Um, Nathan yeah. Gallagher bro, all lowercase. Gallagher is G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R like shameless. Yes. 
Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, no, it was great. And once again, congratulations on everything. I can't wait to see what comes of uh, fake plastic blood and also what happens in the future for you and your team. Your your whole team is lovely. It was so great getting to know all of you guys. And uh, those, those last few nights where we were able to hang out with me, you and Christian and yeah, and uh, yeah, like the, it was just a blast. It was, it was yeah. great. And thanks so love- much for having me on here. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's just, I'm, I'm happy we can make it, make it happen and that you're interested in coming on. So that's, yeah, totally. that's awesome. I awesome. am definitely going to start listening. Cause I, I want to, I love to talk film like this. Thanks so much for having me on here. Yeah, of course, man. I'm happy. And we'll, we'll have you back again sometime soon. And maybe we'll talk about uh, some Kubrick. That would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the terror table and we will see you next time. Uh, yeah. See you next time. Bye.